do that when the lights come on. Welcome to week two, everybody, of the neighbors, learning how to love our neighbors. And by the way, this was one of the greatest things that Jesus taught us. And so we know that loving our neighbors is one of the, the most spiritual things that we can do. And I want to remind you of that this morning because you might think, oh, I, I came to church to learn to do what I already do. And I'm telling you today, this is like one of the most important things on God's agenda for us. It's the relationship command that Jesus gave us. To love God with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourself. And like Steve said last week, when you love your neighbor well, you're actually reflecting your love for God. And so the two are intertwined. You can't separate them. So what I want to do with you today is talk to you for a few minutes about one of the barriers uh, that we have to loving our neighbors well. Like, if this was easy, we would all be doing it, right? It's not easy, and there are some barriers. And I want to talk to you about what I think is the biggest barrier that I face in my life. And that is the barrier of time. Can you say time with me? Time, T-I-M-E. It takes time to love well. So speaking of time, thank you for all of you that uh, rocked day camp this week. We had 348 kids in here. It was an amazing week. We had tons of volunteers. 11 kids gave their hearts to Christ for the very first time. We gave out a bunch of Bibles. And so thank you. Special thanks to the YWAMers. You know, we have a YWAM base downtown, and I think 26 of them or so came and did double duty. So they did morning session, had a little lunch, came back and did second session. How many of you know there's a special place in heaven for martyrs (laughs) who give their lives not once but twice in a day? So thank you, YWAMers. Speaking of time, you know, last Sunday was just a busy day for me, and and we all have busy Sundays. I know what that's like, but, you know, I got up early like I do, and then I came and worshiped with you, which was awesome, my favorite time of the week. And then I went out to Lake Samish for a grad party, and then to our grandbaby's house to meet the new goats. I'm a gopa now, apparently, not just an opa. I'm a, it's a dad joke right there. Uh, then, then home about 8.15 and I realized I hadn't watered some of my grass yet, right? So I'm, I got new grass, so I have to water it. So I'm out in my backyard. I've got dinner on the stove, just trying to finish the day. And I'm out there watering my backyard and out comes my backyard neighbor. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm tired. Like all I want to do is get this done, get back in my house. My dinner's waiting. But then I remember this sermon, And I've got a little Steve in my head, which nobody wants that. You don't want, you don't want a little Steve in your head. I had just heard this great message from this great young preacher just that morning. And so I make the choice to engage. I engage my neighbor. He's a nice guy. Nothing wrong with him. It was my problem, right? And we chatted for a few minutes and I said, uh, well, I need to go get dinner. Um, and, and I say that to you to tell you that I'm like you. Like there are times when I, I just don't want to take the time to engage my neighbor or to have a conversation. And it's mostly because I'm just tired. I'm just busy. It's been a long day. But of all the things that we have to give, I do believe that time is one of the most important things and one of the ways that we say love the best. It's the easiest thing to give. And at the same time, it can be the hardest thing to give, right? It can be both at the same time. And life is full. I know life is full for you. I hear your stories. I know what you're doing. Um, And sometimes we just get tired. We just get tired of giving. We just get tired of, of giving our time. Yet at the same time, life is very, very brief. And so we want to spend our time, what time we have, doing the things 
that are the most meaningful and the most important. And having a three-minute conversation might have been one of the most meaningful things I did that whole day. Having to take the time to talk to somebody that I really don't know that well. Psalm 90, verse 12 says this. Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. In other words, life is short. Teach us how to be wise with our time. What's the best way I could possibly spend my time? And that's number one in your notes today. How I view my time can be a barrier or a bridge to loving my neighbor. I'm going to be very honest with you this morning and just let you in a little bit to my life and what I struggle with. I really do believe that the best way to love our neighbor, whether that's your next-door neighbor or whether that's your spouse or your kids, somebody at work, is time. I think giving our time is the best way to be Christ-like. And when you think about it a little bit, you know, God made time for us, literally. Literally. He created time for us. And not only that, but he took the time to be with us. And so here's what I believe about me and time. Whenever I take time with somebody, I am literally building a bridge of relationship to Jesus for them. Uh, every time I take the time with somebody, especially when it's, it's a time where I'm tired, again, nothing wrong with them, it's just me, and I'm tired or I'm stressed or I've had a long day. Whenever I take that time, I'm, I'm literally taking a stone and putting it in the bridge of relationship that leads somebody to Jesus or encourages somebody in their walk with Christ. You know, we have to take the time to make the time to love people well. And I think that for me, loving people can be seen as an interruption. Anybody ever feel that way? Or loving people can feel like an opportunity. It's all in how you view it. It really is. It's your perspective of time. When I view my time as only important to me, when I view me as the most important thing in my life, uh, when I view what I need in terms of time as being the most important use of my time, then I'm going to view sharing my time as more of an interruption than I am an opportunity. And so I need to adjust my view of time. I need to learn how to love my neighbor and to learn that, that I'm not the most important person in my life. Now, I know that sounds funny, even as I say that, but that's, that's the truth. And Paul talked about this in Philippians 2.3. If you want to open your Bible to Philippians 2, Paul talked about this. It's really a great passage, you know, one that can really cause us to think deeply about our own selves. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Ooh. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So let me say it like I think it, okay? Viewing my interests as more important than taking a moment of time with you is selfish. And this becomes a barrier to me loving my neighbor. In fact, it's prideful. And I'm just going to be honest with you. This has been a lifelong struggle for me. I have consistently over the years viewed myself as the most important person in my life. I'll be honest. And that is something I've had to deal with and struggle with in my friendships, in my relationships, in my family, in my marriage. It's learning to come to the place where I don't see myself as the center of my universe, but I see whoever God brings me as the center of my universe. Because that's really what Jesus wants us to do, love God and love our neighbor. So what does pride say? 
Pride says, I'm the most important person in my life. My agenda, what I have to do that day is the most important, and I don't have time for you. I don't have time to take time. And, and this attitude becomes a barrier for me to love my neighbor, for me to take those couple of minutes just to connect and engage. But humility says this, I'm not the most important person in my universe, and I will take the time. For you, I, I will view this as an opportunity, not an interruption, to take time with you, to bless you, to add value to your life, to do what's best for you in that moment. And what is this value? Here's the value. This is what I want you to catch. This is this is literally this is how I think in my head that that you are worth a few minutes of my time. And I think for each of us, if we could. If we could adopt that like Jesus did. Jesus always took time for people. And if we want to be more like Jesus, we're going to take time for people. And Jesus was able to say, I believe, that that you are always worth a few minutes of my time. Now, I want to make it clear, because if you read this whole passage, notice Paul says, look not only to my to my own interests. It doesn't mean that we throw all of our interests out the window and and that we live life haphazardly and we don't do the things that we're responsible for. No. It simply means that beside my own things that I need to do for my life and for my family, I will make time for you. I will make time for your needs as well, not just my time. And if possible, I will set aside my agenda, at least delay my agenda, to give you the time I need. That, that's what I hope. That's what I want for my life. And I think sometimes it just means I have to adjust my values. I think it means that I need to change how I view spending time with other people, that it's just as important as getting my to-do list done, as getting my grass watered, as getting my dinner fixed. It's just as important to spend a few minutes talking to somebody in my backyard. I think part of this, for me anyway, maybe it's true for you, is that we're just too busy. Anybody? Can I see the hands of people that feel too busy? Yeah, a lot of us, we just feel too busy, and it's hard to know what we would cut from our important list of things to do. You know, we live in this tension all the time between the urgent and the important. And when our priorities are determined by the urgent, then oftentimes we won't do what's really, really important. And so then we have to change how we view our life. Now, let me just mention Jesus for a second. Jesus had a pretty important agenda, didn't he? Wouldn't you say his agenda was pretty important? Save the world. Pretty important agenda, right? Yet, yet, while Jesus was going about saving the world, Jesus made time always for people and for conversations that he would have with people. In fact, I would argue that Jesus lived in hope of the next conversation. That's how it feels when I read about his life. It feels like he was just going places looking for that next conversation to have with somebody that nobody else cared about. That's what I feel like when I think about Jesus and his life. He got his agenda done within the flow of relationships rather than focusing on the agenda and kind of fitting in the relationships where they fit. Even even while dying for the sins of the world... He took a moment and listened to the man dying next to him as the man opened up and shared his heart and said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus took a moment to value that man in the middle of dying for the sins of the world. 
Jesus takes a moment, listens to this man, affirms this man, gives great value to this man and says, yes, today you'll be with me in paradise. What a beautiful expression of how important it is to assure somebody that they mean something in the midst of our busy agenda. So here's a practical question I want to ask you this morning. And and again, remember, I ask myself these same things. Like, I don't expect you to do anything I wouldn't do myself, okay? So when I prepare a message, I preach to myself first. So here's a great question. Are you living at a pace that allows you to be available to the people around you? In other words, are you building in some margin to your life so that when opportunities arise, not interruptions... (laughs) But opportunities arise, you can take a moment and you can spend some time with somebody that simply needs to know that they matter to you. That you can take a few moments with them. John Ortberg says this, and I quote, Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is dangerous because love and hurry are not at all compatible. Because love always takes time. And time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. So I want to ask you this morning, because, you know, we live in this incredibly rushed and hurried world and culture, and that was one of the great things about COVID is we all had to slow down, right? And now I'm kind of afraid that we're all going to get sucked back in to this incredibly stressful and busy life, and we will find once again that we don't have time to be with our families, to be with the ones we love. And so I encourage you to... Practice the one thing you learned from COVID, and that is to take time to be home with your neighbors, be home with the ones you love. Because every day of your life is an opportunity to take the time to love your neighbor. That's number two in your notes today. Every day of your life is an opportunity to take the time to love your neighbor. And so I guess I'm asking you as I ask myself, am I looking for that opportunity to love my neighbor Or am I hoping there won't be an interruption at the end of my day? What is my view? And what view would Jesus want me to have? So again, let's let's back up a little bit this morning and let's define who is my neighbor. Right? We always think of the person next door, but it's not always true. I would say, based on the Good Samaritan story, that anyone God brings across my path today is my neighbor. Anyone God brings across my path today is my neighbor. Now, if you're married, let me see your hands. Let me if you're married. If you're married, you actually get to sleep with your neighbor. It's a good thing, right? Now, don't just cut that out and quote me on that one thing. Go sleep with your neighbor, okay? If you're married, you get to sleep with your neighbor. Your neighbor is your wife or your neighbor is your husband. Also, your neighbors are your kids. Your neighbors are your grandkids. And so I guess my first suggestion would be when you think about loving your neighbor and taking time for your neighbor would be maybe you need to love your wife or your husband better by making more time for them. Or maybe you need to make more time for your kids or maybe your grandkids, right? So that's the first obvious thing. You know, I still battle this after all these years of battling prideful self-agenda. I still struggle with this. You know, we just moved into our remodel, and that doesn't mean it's finished. Now we're painting, and we're painting by hand the old-fashioned way because I'm Dutch. I don't want to pay somebody, so we're painting with brushes and rollers. It's called quality time with my wife. Uh, That's really what it is. Hours and hours together, painting, painting, painting. 
So a few weeks ago, I was all set to paint. It was a Friday. I was excited. I'd waited all week to get out there and paint. And I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, my daughter called me and said, Daddy, I booked the wrong weekend for a class I'm taking. It's tomorrow. Can you watch the kids? Now, I want you to know that at that moment, I had two conversations. One of them was in my head. There's no way I'm giving up my paint day to do this. You should have, you know, all that stuff that goes through your head. And the other conversation was the one I actually said out loud to my daughter, and it was, of course, honey. What time? And where? You know? But I I would be lying to you to say that I didn't struggle in that moment of making room in my agenda and putting aside painting that can wait, right? The house will get painted. But for some reason, when we have these goals and we have these agendas, it's hard for us to set those aside to do what the important thing is because my grandbabies won't wait. They'll grow up. Anybody remember Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon? That song, it's true. They grow up and you don't want to miss it. And what could be a better way to spend my day than hanging out with my grandkids? Turned out I only got Winona, the six-month-old, so I got her. And But to spend some time connecting and enjoying and loving her. That, that Winona, or Winnie as we call her, was my neighbor that day. She was my neighbor. And so I did what I needed to do to love my neighbor. You know, my house is not my neighbor. My house is my house. It's going to get painted, and the paint will wait. Wednesday, uh, we had a memorial service for a man named Verley. You guys know Verley, many of you. Uh, Here's Verley. This is not unusual. This would be a typical picture of Verley. And as we walked through the memorial service together and and Chad Barron read the letter from all the children and, and based on the conversations I had had with the kids of Verley, what was said over and over and over again by Verley's children was how he always made time for them. Always made time for them. Dropped everything else, made time for them, showed up at all the games of the kids and the grandkids, showed up at all the different things, came over to help with projects. Uh, Even when he got really, really sick, he battled cancer five years. Even when he got really, really sick, he would still come over and supervise. You know, he would supervise the project. Or just to spend time with them. And I want to tell you again, I was reminded Wednesday that what we should want people to remember about us when it comes our time to go home is this. This is what's important. This is what's valuable. It's family. It's neighbors. It's friendships. You know, accomplishments, people are going to forget. Friendships, family, they're not going to forget. This is how you want to be remembered, that you made time to love and you loved well. Maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe it's not your kids or grandkids. Maybe it's your literal next-door neighbor. Maybe it really is the person next door just taking a moment to talk. I love what Paul says in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers. So let's say you have a neighbor that's not a believer, okay? Paul's going to tell us how to get them saved, how to bring them to Jesus. Here it is. Live wisely among those who are not believers Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, Paul's talking about really anyone you run into in the course of life, anyone God might bring across your path. But what about your next-door neighbor? 
And here's the thing. Here's my point this morning. No one will ever get the chance to hear your gracious and attractive conversation if you never take the time to have a conversation with them. How will they get to see Christ in us if we don't take the time to show them Christ in us? Right? And so taking the time with our neighbors, and I want to say today, for my last point with you this morning, that love is literally spelled time. T-I-M-E. Love is spelled time. Let's walk through this this morning. I've got a few, a few thoughts I want to give you about what does time really look like? What does it mean to really take some time with a neighbor? So here's, here's the first letter, the letter T. And I would simply say, take time to talk. I know that sounds simple and silly, but truly we drive into our garages and we hit our closer and we go into our houses and we never end up out in the yard unless we're mowing and then we can't hear, right? I mean, we never end up out there just lingering and waiting for those conversations to happen. We just don't. And so we need to take the time to talk, to always be ready to have a conversation. You guys might remember uh, one of my favorite shows from the 90s, uh, back when they were still making great family shows, was called Home Improvement. Anybody remember Home Improvement? All right. So what was the guy's name with the hat? Wilson. You know, you know. So one of the characters was a neighbor to Tim, and uh, his name was Wilson. And we never actually saw his face. This is all they showed was the top of his head and his hat. But time after time after time... Tim would go out there when he got himself into trouble or when he was having a family problem, a spat with his wife or trouble with the kids, he would go out into the backyard. And Wilson was always available. Like always available. He was like waiting and stalking and lingering just for Tim to come out so that he could share some wisdom with him. And they'd talk over the fence and Wilson would always give some great advice And Wilson was a good neighbor because he was always willing to talk. And what I want to say to you this morning is not from the Bible, but it's this. We need to be more like Wilson. We need to be more like Wilson. Be available to talk. That's the T of time. Then there is the I of time. Be intentional. Be intentional. Plan. Not just let it happen. Not just, you know, let the opportunity arise, but plan. To take time with people, with your neighbors, with those that you want to get to know a little bit better. You know, last week Steve ended the service by talking about this thing called a block party. And again, I have to be brutally honest with you. I'm an introvert. I really am. That may surprise you. I've just learned to get along on stage. But I'm an introvert. Put me in a group of people and I'm like awkward. I say things I don't really want to say or mean to say. Some of you know. Like I've embarrassed myself with you a number of times. But I'm an introvert. And so when Steve mentioned this in staff meeting, again, I had two conversations in my head. And the one was, there's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way I'm going to have a block party. That sounds like the worst plan ever. The thing that came out of my mouth was, boy, Steve, that's a great idea. How do you think of these things? You're amazing, right? And so I literally, I I fussed over this idea. I was anxious over this idea. Not for you, but for me. It's like, I don't want to have a block party. I don't want to do that. So then I had this brilliant idea. It's brilliant. And I recommend that if you're an introvert like me, this is what you want to do to solve this problem, to have a block party, okay? Because it's a very intentional way to meet your neighbors and to know your neighbors. 
So what did I do? I reached out to some extrovert friends of mine who lived just close enough. I actually annexed them in to my neighborhood (laughs) so that I could call them my neighbors. And I said, hey, Josh and Heather Schmidt, Schmitties, is there a bigger extrovert than Josh Schmidt? There's not. I said, why don't you come and help me throw this block party? You can be the extrovert. They're like, great. And so then they called their extrovert friends, Josh and Kimmy Howell, who lived just across the street and annexed them in to my neighborhood, because now we're across the street from my block, and said, hey, why don't you come and help us be extroverts at this party? Okay, so now, now I'm in a comfort zone. All I have to do is hang out and feed people and help people, and they get to be the fun lovers, right? So it's brilliant. I recommend, if you're sweating about this thing, just annex somebody into your block Call them up and have them come and share your block party with you, okay? Because because every party needs an extrovert. You know this is true, right? Uh, every party needs an extrovert, so find one, invite them in, be intentional, throw this block party. Ours is on the 27th. All we're doing is s'mores. Uh, there's, a, there's a burn band, so we're getting a propane thingy they're going to bring over. I'm on a cul-de-sac, so we're going to block off the cul-de-sac, and it's going to be great, okay? Be intentional. I do not know the names of about three of our homes in my neighborhood, but I've only been there a few months. Some of you have no excuse, okay? So I, become intentional. M, make a difference. Make a difference. Make a difference spells mad. Get mad. Make a difference. It's the little things that matter. Our community lost another truly mad person named Money Mayberry. Now, I've known Money my entire life. I picked berries for Money. You know, she brought cinnamon rolls to the school. Some of you have read the paper or the chamber and you've seen, you know, Money's uh, cinnamon roll recipe. Um, But she made a difference in the lives of thousands, literally thousands of people in this community. And most of us don't know because nobody ever talked about it. But Money was the kind of person, and I'm finding this out as we get ready for her memorial, uh, Money's famous for her cinnamon rolls, but that's just the icing on the cake. Money actually was pretty well known for going out, hearing about somebody in need, going to the grocery store, filling up her grocery cart, bringing it to their house, and delivering it to them. Or she would hear about, you know, they had something go broke, or something broke in their house, and so she would go buy something for them. And here was the fun thing about money is that if she found a sale, she wouldn't just buy one. She'd buy like five or six or seven because somebody's going to need a blender someday, right? Or somebody's going to need something, a microwave someday, so I'll buy a bunch of them. And she would keep these things until somebody needed them and then she would give them away. She literally took care of the needs of thousands of people over the years that she lived here. She took care of her farm workers and, you know, every summer she'd throw these picnics for them and these parties for them and help them any way they needed help. They weren't just farm workers to her. They were family to her. And there are, there are farm workers of monies who view her as another mom or as a Grammy. There are people that view her this way. And I just want to mention that to say that I think we could all get a little more mad. We could all make a difference a little bit more. And I think money is really a great person to look up to. You know, she's she's like Jesus that way. You know, they raised berries, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries. I went and picked blackberries last night. You can still see it on my hands. You know, and money took care of 
I don't know, the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of kids that came through. I was six when I picked berries for money. You know, and she took care of us and made sure we didn't die in the fields, which was important. (laughs) But as, as I was talking with her son, Marty, Marty said to me, you know, we say all these good things about mom, but what you need to understand about mom was her relationship with Christ. And the fact that central to all this goodness that she did was her relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and she may have raised all these berries with my dad, but, but really what was in her was the fruit of the Spirit. And she exhibited and she lived this fruit. She was, she was mad. She made a difference in the lives of so many people that many of us would never know about if we didn't talk about it. And so she did this, and he said, I want to make sure that people know that, that this goodness of my mom wasn't just the fact that she was a good person, but it emanated out of this, this central relationship that she had with Jesus Christ. And you see, that's what we're talking about. And that's, that's why we want to make a difference in the lives of our neighbors, is because hopefully in some way it will draw them to Christ when we're able to do that. So that's M, mad, make a difference. And the last letter of time today is E, engage. Engage meaningfully. Engage your neighbor. Engage the person that God brings across your path today. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by engage? Well, oftentimes we just brush by people and we forget to ask the meaningful questions. Like, how's your family? Boy, be prepared to wait, you know, have some time for that question. Um, How's work? How's life? And, And then wait for the answer. I mean, are we really too busy to give somebody 10 minutes to share about what's going on in their life? And don't make it about you in that moment. Keep it about them. If you ask the question, wait for the answer, and then ask a follow-up question. Because I've found that the follow-up question really opens the door to more sharing and more engagement. And then, after somebody has shared, be compassionate and be caring enough to say, hey, can I pray for you? I have found that most people want to be prayed for. They don't, you know, they're not against prayer. If they're going through a hard time, they're hoping that someone's going to pray for them. In fact, a friend of mine, in response to Steve's message this week, a friend of mine said to me just the other day, he said, you know, I was at home, and my neighbor drove by and stopped and rolled down the window of their car and told me about a diagnosis they had just received that was not favorable. Bad diagnosis. And so he said, I walked over to the car and, and said, can I pray for you? And of course, you get a bad diagnosis. You want everybody on your side, right? You want God on your side if possible. And so, of course, the neighbor said, sure, you can pray for me. And I guess I'm just saying that most people really do want engagement. Most people really do want prayer, especially in the middle of this crazy, chaotic world. So, why do we preach this message on loving your neighbor? Why do we have this conversation with our church? Why do I have this conversation with myself? And it's because loving your neighbor like Jesus, by giving the gift of your time, truly does reflect Christ and truly does please your Heavenly Father. First John 2.17 says, This world is fading away along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You know, the last thing I want to say as I, I bring this to a close, and the band, band, you can come on up, because we're going to sing one more song. 
The last thing I want to say is remember to take time for Jesus. You know, we don't want to try to love our neighbors on our own strength. It doesn't work out well. I don't believe, I know I can say this about me, I don't have what it takes to love well. I don't. I'm too selfish. But when I am aware of the Holy Spirit in me, wanting to love through me, and when I'm aware of little Steve in my head, you know, and when I'm aware of the things we're thinking about that, that we're wanting to do to become more like Christ, then I am more likely to love. And, and so for me, again, it's not just something that comes naturally. Don't hear me say that. It's not. It's a struggle. But for me, it's a matter of spending my own time with Jesus. I have to be spending time with Jesus or I got nothing to give. And so what do I do? Well, you know, like I told you, I planted a new lawn, right? I didn't have the foresight to put in sprinkling systems. So I'm out there in the mornings sprinkling my lawn and changing sprinklers. It takes about two hours to get it done. So during that time, I don't just waste time. During that time, I pray. I spend time praying in the Spirit. I spend time listening to worship music. I spend time connecting with Jesus. And even as I'm refreshing the lawn and not letting it die, I'm letting him refresh me and build me up so that I have something to give. So both are important. So we're going to sing a song this morning, and I want you to really engage with this song and engage with Jesus as you sing it. Because this is really the answer to the problem of why we don't love sometimes. It's because we need Christ to fill us every day with the love that he wants us to give away. So let's stand up together, and we're going to sing this song, and then I'll come back, and I'll close this in prayer.